Hello and welcome to the Food Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and to overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Food Freedom Coach. And I'm really excited to share with you lots of tips, stories and guest interviews in helping you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm really excited to have another guest on the show. And today I have Josie Buck, who is the Mindful Cook. Now Josie is a food and eating psychology coach. And Josie has been on her own journey in moving away from dieting and finding her own peaceful relationship with food. And she now helps other women to change the way they relate to food and their bodies. Josie runs online courses, award-winning retreats, workshops, and coaching programs. Now, I hope you really enjoy this interview. Thank you so much to Josie for coming on and enjoy. Hi there, Josie, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi there. Thank you for having me, Harriet. So, Josie, tell me a bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure, yeah. So I am a food and eating psychology coach. and My business is The Mindful Cook. And so through my business, I run food and well-being retreats for women and online courses, all kind of designed to help women to improve their relationship with food and with their bodies. It sounds fantastic. So uh, Josie, how have you been coping with the lockdown? I know we're sort of moving out of it a bit now, but ha- how's it been going for you? It's been an interesting time, hasn't it, really? I think mostly quite well, <laughs> but like many people, it's been up and down. I think everybody's had their own struggles through this. Everybody's had to face their own difficulties, haven't they? Most of the time, I work from home, work-wise, so uh, it's been kind of quite easy. There's been no transition, if you like, from a working point of view, but I've definitely missed having contact with friends and family and just that kind of feeling of being a little bit isolated at times, you know. But generally we've coped okay. I think possibly one of the toughest things that we've had to do is we postponed our wedding. <laughs> we were uh, meant to be getting yeah, we were actually meant to be getting married, ironically, this coming weekend. So July oh, the fourth. <laughs> So kind of the extra layer of of interest, you know, the interesting bit about it was it's literally, isn't it, just as we're kind of coming out of it. So now we're hearing stories that, oh, yeah, everything's reopening on July the 4th. Um, But we we had to make the call, you know, a good few weeks back to postpone it. And and I definitely think it was the right thing to do, um, given, given, you know, given the way that things are. But, yeah, that was pretty tough. (laughs) oh they're really tough so are you going to when have you postponed it to like do you have a new date yeah yeah we do so we kind of it took us a while to be honest with you because I was thinking (laughs) oh you know wanted it to be the summer and then I just kind of came to I thought do we you know it could rain and actually I think it might rain (laughs) (laughs) which I will be doing a jump for joy little dance on that occasion (laughs) but then yeah so we just kind of thought it really doesn't matter if it's the summer because everybody's rearranging for next summer so we picked a date in October next year when hopefully it you know will be well shot of all this yeah (laughs) yeah they're sure and I hope that gets kind of long enough doesn't it for us to be well and truly out of the pandemic yeah let's hope so yeah oh gosh you know it's been a real adjustment though hasn't it like I guess yeah particularly like with something like a wedding and um, I'm sure you've probably been planning and looking forward to that for so long (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah but then I guess what I did you know I did that kind of process of putting it into context and thinking you know what 
there's a lot of people that are in a worse situation, you know, people who've yeah. got loved ones in hospital, all those kind of terrible things that people have had to cope with during this time, that it kind of put it in perspective a little bit. But yeah, we're now, we've got all the, the upside was I'm thinking I've got so much more time now to prepare for it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an upside, isn't there, yeah. to everything, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and, and you're so right. I think, you know, if you've been fortunate enough to kind of like not get the virus and, you know, I think the kind of part of the world we're in, in lockdown and it being the nice weather and everything, we've been really quite fortunate, haven't we? There's lots of people yes. that have had it a lot worse. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So Josie, I know you've been in your, on your own journey in overcoming issues with food and body image. Um, so can you tell us a bit about this journey? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was younger, my mum, bless her, was always dieting. You know, it was a thing in our house. You know, in the diet, we had the book on it in our house. And, I, you know, I guess as a child, I observed her, her self-esteem was always incredibly low. And I think it's fueled by that notion and still that societal norm, isn't it? That our size, our shape and our appearance really determine so much. Our value in life, you know, our health, all of these kind of things. And I really watched her suffer and battle with her own body you know she was constantly scrutinizing her body always you know seeking approval when she was trying things on and all that kind of stuff and I guess I learned through that in a way and I learned that her body was never acceptable as it was to her and saw it as something that really really she battled with all of her life Mm -hmm. ironically she loved food She, she was a great cook still is and was always baking and cooking so the house was always full of great food but there was always this constant conflict, you know, within her around mm. food and what she could allow herself to have and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I went through my young adulthood, certainly through my teens and early 20s, scrutinising my own appearance, you know, hiding behind a wall of makeup. I was into makeup from a really early age. And, you know, right into my 30s, to be quite honest with you, and I, I can always refer to it as being stuck in the revolving doors of weight loss clubs. I was in that of weight loss clubs all through my 20s and well into my 30s so yeah it kind of set the tone if you like and I struggled I struggled for years it affected my relationships it's certainly you know my sense of self-worth was pretty low let's say throughout my early years Mm, sure which sounds so tough doesn't it because I guess your mum was clearly struggling a lot with her own issues with self-esteem and body image and and it's difficult isn't it because I guess you know unconsciously really you know she's not intending to pass these messages on to you but she's your kind of primary female role model isn't she and it's not surprising that you're going to kind of pick up on those things that because that kind of becomes your normal doesn't it yeah absolutely absolutely I mean if I look back at her history she you know she had quite an abusive relationship I think with her father you know and it all of these kind of things but I think if you look back at that generation and ours to a great extent you know the diet and fashion industry have a great deal to answer for I think and women's bodies have always you know been objectified in this way and it takes an awful lot for us to push back on that doesn't it mm. um, so it wasn't you know that obviously was happening with my mum but they're the stories that you're getting from everywhere else as well aren't they through the media yeah through, all of that stuff you're just surrounded by it constantly so yeah, 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 yeah. No, sure. I mean, it's so true, isn't it? And I think 
I just think seeing I've got my daughter at the moment who's 14 and obviously I'm trying my best to really role model a healthy relationship with food and body image but it shocked me actually the power of the media still because I kind of thought oh she's going to be fine (laughs) but how naive was I really you know these messages are so powerful yeah yeah, it's a lot for young young women to cope with, particularly now social media's around. You know, you think about when we were younger, it yeah. was, you know, TV and magazines. And now it's so much bigger than that, isn't it? And it's being fed yeah. through our mobile phones and everything else as well. So, yeah, I think we've got quite a job to do to help young women. Yeah, so absolutely. So was there a turning point for you in kind of, you know, overcoming these issues and beginning to turn things around? Yeah, so I guess I kind of... I, I always felt like I was wearing the wrong shoes. It sounds like a funny analogy, but I felt like, you know, I was painfully self-conscious. And I think really, I so very early on, I took some counselling and it kind of uncovered a load of stuff around my relationship with a mum and all the things that we've just talked about. But then I kind of got into my 40s and I was in quite a successful career in TV and marketing at that time and I just kind of started to lose interest with it to be honest with you I was feeling really unfulfilled and I was kind of beginning to realize that I wanted to be doing something else with my life and I think really what happened to me was I changed my career and that was kind of part of my path towards healing myself as well if that makes sense yeah so uh, I was yeah I made quite a big decision around my early 40s to kind of quit my job sell my house and and do something quite different and it was all inspired really by the fact that I had gone on a little yoga break with a good friend of mine this beautiful kind of retreat for women in Norfolk when I was still in my corporate career and I kind of found myself sitting around the table at this place all these women were eating communally and they're all talking about their stories you know their relationship with food you know and it most of it evolved around that you know self-perception all of those kind of conversations I think when we, you get women together in those kind of contexts quite openly and it was quite magical for me and I think that really sparked something in me I didn't realize it at the time yeah. that made me think you know I need to change things up a bit in my life so essentially that's what happened I, I kind of quit my job sold up my house I'm still you know I'm still Weight Watchers and Simming World right into my late 30s yeah and all, but always always had this love for food I loved cooking the one thing I loved the most in the world was having a house full of people and, and cooking a big meal for everybody so again I was kind of had this internal conflict around those things as well mm-hmm. um and when I when I gave up my job, I kind of went <laughs> went and lived at my parents again in my forties, lived in the shed at the bottom of their garden. Much my father's like absolute amazement. What are you doing with your life? Um, <laughs> but I I had no I up to that point in my life because I think it, when I look back on it now, I realise that it really did affect my relationships. I didn't have any dependence. I didn't have a partner at that time. I was very much a career girl, very much single. And I just kind of woke up one day and thought, you know what? I've never taken a career break. I've never stepped outside of work since I graduated. I've kind of got all this stuff that doesn't really mean much to me. You know, it was kind of that, call it midlife crisis, if you like. Mm. Um, You know, I can do something here. Maybe I could sell my house and create some space in my life where I can decide really what it is I want to do. And it really was that. It was quite an epiphany, really. And I went to stay at my parents. And my parents lived a few miles away from this place that I've just spoken about, this yoga retreat. 
And I just decided that I would just, you know, I thought, right, I'm just going to go knock on the door one day and see if she wants me to clean the toilets. I don't care what I want. <laughs> what, what, what I do, I didn't need the money. I just wanted to do something completely different from what I've been doing. And I guess in a way I wanted to be inspired, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I did. I went and knocked on the door one weekend. I'd kind of finished working in the May and this was the early July. So I didn't need much time between. And it was really, really busy there. And she opened the door and she said, can you cook? And I was mm. like, do you know what? Yeah, actually I can. And I've done my health and hygiene certificate. I had this wonderful opportunity to talk to women every yeah. night around the table, you know, about their relationship with food and their bodies and their life experiences. And it made me realise that that's what I needed to do. I needed to bring my love food together with a deeper understanding of what happens for many of us around food and use that to help women to you know make sense of things and to improve their quality of life and feel better in their own skin mm. and that's when I studied eating psychology I took up my study of eating psychology whilst I was there did my diploma and then kind of thought mm, this th the food thing I want to do a bit more with that and then went on to study applied nutrition Okay. And in that process, it kind of healed me. You know, it, it taught me so much. It inspired me so much as well. It made, made me realise, gosh, if other women could learn this stuff, it would help them too. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> Long mm. story short. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, it's wonderful that you found like that career that obviously gives you like so much meaning and purpose. And I guess, you know, at the time, it's such a brave step, really, just to step away from that kind of, I guess, like what looked like a really sort of successful career. But it sounds like your heart was really kind of pulling you in a different direction, wasn't it? And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah although it takes you a while to work it out you know at that time I really didn't know what it was that I wanted to do I just knew what I didn't want to be doing and I think there's also something else around you know once you stop focusing on what you don't want in your life and you start placing your focus on the stuff that you do want it makes it a lot easier to get yes. there that makes sense <laughs> yeah no really really true and, and I think it's just helpful for anyone listening actually isn't it because I think sometimes we are just waiting for that complete kind of Damascus moment but um, you <laughs> yeah. know it, it is often a bit more messy isn't it it's kind of yes. um, you know yeah <laughs> you kind of have a gut feeling about the direction you want to be going in but yeah you don't really know how you're going to do it or you know what's going to get you there kind of thing exactly yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Josie tell me a bit more about the work you do with your clients yeah, so it started, it was back in 2017, I was still at the retreat and how it started was ladies were kind of coming in and saying, you know, if you, if you did a food retreat, we would come, you know, if you did something of your own, we would come. So it started with retreats. So I, I started out in November 2017 doing food retreats, started off with eight guests in that November and it all started, and it, you know, we just did some mindful food preparation and things like that and we just spent the weekend together we shared our stories and I did a bit of coaching within that and that's kind of where it started and then I was doing four retreats a year and then I got my coaching qualifications part of my diploma and then started doing one-to-one -one coaching and then I kind of realized well I just felt drawn to doing online courses if I'm honest for two reasons really one was to kind of be able to help more people but also because I was working a lot of nights still at the retreats and people wanted to talk in the evenings, which was kind of 
quite difficult at times. So, you know, it was it was really that that drove me. So the way that I work is that I now do two food and wellbeing retreats a year. They're residential retreats are over a weekend where we get to connect, you know, I get to meet lots of lovely ladies and we get to talk and I do a bit of coaching and there's some yoga and it's all about mind body food you know that kind of mm. union if you like and I do online courses now so I do two short courses one that is in you know building nutritious dinners and the other one is overcome emotional eating and then I do a combined coaching and online course program which at this point in time now we're speaking is called the healthy mind healthy body program but I'm thinking we were just talking about this before recording that I'm changing that I'm going to evolve that a bit this year and, and restart that again in September so retreats and online courses with a mix of some group coaching in there as well mm, sure and so with your courses as well are they so with the your kind of signature program does that have an element of you some contact with you or are they kind of courses that you completely download and can work on independently yeah so the shorter courses are you work independently but that said I'm in touch so up through, yeah. through email on those programs but the bigger program is an online course and group coaching program so it's an eight-week program that I coach in weekly in mm-hmm. a closed kind of membership group which I love you know I love that that course because it's quite immersive and it's very interactive in that sense mm-hmm. so yeah a bit of both Mm, fantastic so how do you like to find like this healthy balance with food and exercise in your life today yeah I'm quite I guess I'm quite lucky because I work from home I always think back to the time you know when I was corporate and stuck at a desk and you're kind of time limited aren't you for when you can fit things in but now I work from home I just make sure that I have a daily ritual around those things because I know what gets me fired up and I it has to be I have to get my head in the right space yeah. and I have to, and to do that, I, I move my body and I also do little things like, you know, journaling or, you know, writing notes, those kind of things that just help me get my head and my body in the right space. So I have a little ritual every day, which is mostly either I get out in nature and I have a good walk or I do a bit of yoga, you know, those kind mm. of things. So that kind of keeps me ticking over. And I find that the days that I don't do it, I do know that I haven't done it, you know, when things get too yeah. busy. <laughs> and I think, well, I just haven't got time to fit that in. But actually, I know that if I don't do that, I'm never, yeah. never anywhere near as productive. <laughs> oh, no, it's so true, isn't it? And it sounds like, yeah, you just tried to really make it kind of a habit, haven't you, almost? Because, yeah, sometimes it's doing those things, isn't it, that we know that are going to kind of be helpful and effective, are going to boost our mood, et cetera, even if we don't always kind of have the motivation for them every day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the big thing, actually, that's worth mentioning between us here is that I used to do the movement thing. I used to be motivated to do movement because I wanted to change my body. Mm. But now it's I've realized there's been such a change that now I do that stuff because I recognize how much benefit I get in my mind from it. Mm-hmm. It really puts my head in a different space. So there's definitely been a change of the way that I think about movement and my practice mm. in that way. Yeah, no, sure. That sounds really good to hear. And what do you think as well about, you know, how can we support young people more, you know, in kind of growing up in this kind of world of social media and so many kind of negative influences? You know, how do you think we can help them have a better relationship with food and their bodies today? 
Yeah, we were talking about this before we came on as well, weren't we? And I just think we really do have to get the kind of people that are taking up space in those places online to take responsibility for the agenda, to really start to make a difference through the stories that they tell. But also when I look back, I think about you know my experience at school and everybody learns English and maths and all that kind of stuff, don't they? But nobody teaches you about your emotional health. Yeah. It gives you, you know, a solid background. That stuff is so important. You know, yeah. just getting some simple emotional health topics onto the curriculum because actually, ultimately, that's entirely what it's about, isn't it? It's about yeah. being able to, yeah, help ourselves out in the way that we think about things and the way that we perceive things. And that is so, so important. So, mm. yes, influencing the agenda, both in schools, on the curriculum, getting that stuff on the curriculum, but also getting influencers to more responsibility I think yeah no it's true isn't it and I, I just think actually those two focusing on those two areas it would have such a significant effect because I think as well in schools if you're learning that kind of emotional regulation stuff early on you know you're, you're much more kind of open I think and you're going to absorb stuff younger aren't you like because yeah. I know I work with adults and you know often so much of you know from 18 upwards and often so much of kind of their mental programming is quite set really from what's been yes. based on you know and it's getting in that early is just so so key isn't it absolutely and it's quite simple stuff isn't it you know and if you get in mm. at an early age and it becomes second nature I guess yes definitely yeah yeah, yeah. so true yeah it needs yeah. to be in there like maths and English doesn't it yes um, <laughs> really does <laughs> <laughs> okay Josie final quick fire questions um so what would be your last supper three course meal so this is going to be probably sound quite boring, but I love just good old plain English fish and chips, mm. <laughs> the best fish and chips. And, and it would have to be at the seaside with the fresh air, fish and chips sat on the on the front there. And I'd follow it up with a very nice ice cream. <laughs> oh yeah they're lovely so and how do you like how do you like your fish and chips do you, do you have salt and vinegar or oh yeah salt and vinegar definitely nice crispy batter mm. lovely perfect yeah. oh perfect <laughs> simple pleasures yeah absolutely <laughs> and do you have a favorite quote or mantra I do. I have a quote that often comes into my mind because I think it is so relates to everything that I believe in and the work that I do. And it's actually an Einstein quote. Okay. And it is that we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we used when we created them. Mm. And to me, it just says everything about, you know, in order to affect change in our lives, we need to change our thought processes and kind of quit the thinking that no longer serves us you know it's that we kind of have to rethink things a little bit and I love that I love that mm, yeah no it's really powerful isn't it and I think yeah. we're all guilty of like getting yeah getting stuck in a rut aren't we and in a way just doing the same thing but even like pushing harder or and getting yeah. back in the same place again and being frustrated yes. Exactly, exactly. Good old Einstein. Good old Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us something about you that may surprise us. Yeah, this was a tough one. I think it would have to be that probably not a very good now because it's probably evolved quite a lot, but I, I do a bit of sign language. Um, mm. And that is because both of my father's parents were deaf. So he communicated with his parents completely through sign language, which I find fascinating. Yeah. I think it's amazing. So when I was younger, he, 
he taught me a bit. I say that it's probably a bit wooden now, but I can do a little bit of sign language, which is lovely. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, sure. A great skill to have. Um, <laughs> so where can people find you if they you know, want to know more about you and your courses, etc.? Where, where do people find you? Yeah, great. So my website is themindfulcook.co.uk and I'm also very active on Instagram and I'm again, I'm just themindfulcook.co.uk and on Facebook as well. Sometimes get a little bit confused with the mindful chef. So that's one to watch out for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but themindfulcook.co.uk and you'll find me there. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Josie, for sharing all that great information and for coming on the podcast today. And I'm sure people will go and check you out. And I will, you know, make sure all those links are in the show notes. Um, So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Harriet. It's been lovely talking to you. So hope you really enjoyed this episode and do go and check out Josie online and find out all about her online courses and retreats. So if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Food Freedom Coach. And for regular blogs and insights and updates straight to your mailbox, do sign up for my weekly mail list at foodfreedomcoach.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.